Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to the finale of Movie Madness Season 4 in association with Spitballing Pods. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner, and we have plenty to get into today. We will go through the results of the quarterfinals, semifinals, and eventually the final. We'll also go through our end-of-season awards with all films from the final 64 eligible for nomination. First though, Keenan... I gather you've got your tuxedo on. It's a big occasion. How are you doing today? I'm all right, mate. It's been a long time, long time coming. Dusted off the tuxedo. What is it? As you said earlier, I think 66 weeks. Mm. Probably a bit longer than that, actually, because we had a couple off for Christmas as well. Yeah, it's probably touching about 72, mate, to be fair. Yeah, September 21 was when this started. Mm. Well, 18 months we've been doing this. <laughs> yeah. And the planning is already there for season five, but we'll go through that at the end of this episode. The quarterfinal results seem a good place to start before we get into the awards. The Godfather defeated, no, Training Day defeated The Godfather 6-5. Scarface defeated Heat 5-4. Goodfellas defeated The Town 12-2. And The Godfather Part 2 defeated the Wolf of Wall Street 6-4. I wonder how people would feel about the uh, the Godfather result. That seems to be a big upset. Yeah, I mean, you can see the difference really in just a scorecard between two and three people because as we always say, they're out of 16. Mm. So anytime they add up to less than 16 means we were split on that. So Goodfellas, the town, we're near identical the way through. Whereas Heat, Scarface, 9 of 16, Godfather Training Day, 11 of 16, and uh, Godfather Part 2 and Wolf of Wall Street, 10 of 16. So that's how it goes sometimes. But the breaks. Exactly. We'll have the semi-final results, final result later on, but we will get into first the male MVP. There's a plane waiting for us to take us to Miami in an hour. All right. Don't make a big thing about it. I knew it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. Somewhat controversial here, and I guess the controversial part here, although, although not the most controversial because we do literally make the rules is Michael Corleone is the winner here and is he technically a hero is he just not a villain ultimately he's not the guy we root against I guess is the clearest way to break this one down I mean he is the end he is literally the most valuable person in these films yeah he also it's only because we have a, a category for best villain which no one from the villain category was uh, nominated for MVP I would and I'm not the first person to make the argument, and I may not be the last, but probably could well possibly be the most famous film character. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think he was voted eleventh. I think by the National Film Institute. Something around that. Uh, I just saw the the, the nomination there, so uh, mm-hmm. I'll have to go down the list. But it's fine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But. Right. No, we see him go from this kind of clean and polished, straight and narrow guy who just happens to be in this like juggernaut mafia family. He's out in the Marines. And then over the next like six hours or so of film, he becomes the head of the most powerful family in America alongside, I guess, Eisenhower at the time. Mm. Yeah. He weeds out his brother as a rat. He dispatches of uh, Salozzo and McCluskey, wipes out all the other New York Dons, puts Mo Green in his place when his brother's tapping up cocktail waitresses two at a time. And he can get a drink. He's just about business. He gets things done. Obvious advantage of being across two films. We get the real arc and we didn't do the third one, although we've spoken about it enough times. Mm. Felt quite a clear choice. Of MVP, really? Yeah, probably the obvious choice. But look, sometimes the obvious choice is the good one. Exactly. Hello, Clarice. Dr. Lecter, my name is Clarice Starling. May I speak with you? You're one of Jack Crawford's, aren't you? I am, yes. May I see your credentials? Certainly. As for the female MVP, another stack category, but from the Silence of the Lambs, Clarice Starling takes the cake. She beats out other contenders like Veronica Rawlings in Widows, Marta Cabrera in Knives Out, Jackie Brown in Jackie Brown, Matilda in Leon. Portrayed by Jodie Foster Mm -hmm. in this. Ranked as one of the greatest screen performances of all time. We see the character go from the FBI Academy to interviewing the guy billed as the most psychotic killer ever and then taking out another psycho in Buffalo Bill. She really secured this for me. That final scene with the night vision and Bill gave me palpitations at the time. I remember speaking about it on here. (laughs) She somehow comes out on top in that just uh, phenomenal character. Yeah, Jodie Foster is awesome from like minute one. They have done a spin-off series. I know they did the Hannibal mm. one and they've done a Clarice one, but won't be watching that. Uh, some, it's just a thankless task for whoever is stepping in to Jodie Foster's shoes. Like, why are you doing this? Yeah, it is, that is true. It's very difficult. But I, I don't know. I've, never, I've actually never seen... Um, see, the thing is, I've only ever seen Silence of the Lambs. I've never actually watched any of the others, so I'm not, I'm not like too deeply attached to it. I do love Silence of the Lambs, either. Yeah, I've seen the first season of Hannibal, but it, it it didn't do as much for me as it did for everyone else, unfortunately. Yeah, well, and I watched that before I saw Silence of the Lambs, so maybe that was maybe that was my mistake. Maybe, yeah, no attachment. Got the box ever Christmas one year. No attachment to the character. No, but there we go. MVP, the most prestigious award, two very worthy winners, and we will move on. Well, I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here to fucking amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? The best side character, Keenan, we, we had this narrowed down to two people, really, and it's it's the people's champ that comes out on top. 
we spoke a lot about Mark Wahlberg's dignum mm. in The Departed last week, but unfortunately for him, he was up against Mr. Funny Howe, Joe Pesci's Tommy DeVito. Yeah. Comes out of a film that's dominated by Ray Liotta and, and still gets spoken about as much as Ray and Bobby D. Every scene he's in, he's a scene stealer. I actually, the funny house scene is obviously the most famous one, maybe even shine box there as well. Um, I actually prefer how he is in the scene with uh, Scorsese's mother. When he's just got the lines reeling off, I do settle down, I settle down with a different girl every single night. Um, One dog looks one way, one looks the other way. And this guy's saying, what do you want from me? Unreal the whole way through. Unfortunate, really, that he had to meet his end in the way he did, but quite poetic. I mean, I know you you like him uh, taking out Spider, which is quite nasty. <laughs> also a great scene, though. Why don't you run, why don't you run for me? Um, don't make me feel bad, Spider. And I think it's only because of seeing him as Chris Moltisanti, I think, is is the issue. I know TK is ripping through the Sopranos as well now. Three seasons down. It's going to be catching you up. Yeah, my, my progress is stalled. But you did rip through the wire, so you need to keep that same energy. Maybe you need to cut. I was going to say you need to catch COVID again. Don't catch COVID again, but maybe you need a couple of weeks off again. If only, brother. If only. Um, no, he is phenomenal in this. Uh, Quote was always stuck with me. No, they said, uh, "I'm sorry, Henry. I didn't mean to get blood on your carpet after he just fucking annihilates Billy Bass, <laughs> just like, slaughtering him for a good two minutes. Just blows left, right, centre, and that's the carpet he's wearing about." Yeah, I watched the scene again, literally about five minutes before we've started recording here, and the uh, the way he escalates because he's kind of shying down and he's doing. You know, I just if you've been away a while, maybe you don't remember things. I don't do that anymore. Don't break my balls. And then it's just you mother and then you're yeah. off. Keep him here. Also when they start shooting big fucking mouth, big fat fucking mouth. It's all there is it. Gets on there real quick. The best the funniest thing about that scene, honestly, is the near off and his little stomps, his face he's just stomping. Yeah, yeah. Just fucking kicking fuck out of his head. I need to see uh, like side by side with him there and in the Irishman just to see uh, how he maintained the form. Yeah, he really doesn't. But look, your knees get old. They go. What, what can you do? They do. You'll never see the light of day. Who the fuck you think you fucking with? I'm the police. I run shit here. You just live here. Yeah, that's right. You better walk away. Go on, walk away, because I'm going to burn this motherfucker down. King Kong ain't got shit on me. Alonzo Harris takes the cake here as the best male villain. And I actually think this was the toughest category to determine. His main rival here was uh, Shigur from No Country. And I guess the difference is that... Buffalo Bill, not open to you? No mentions? No, I think when you're not the top, like top two characters in your own film. You don't like putting lotion in the basket? <laughs> no, I don't. Um, 
yeah, main rival here, Sugar. And I, the difference for me is the one guy has kind of more more levels. He's got more tiers that he can, he can go through. Like one guy has what appears to be redeeming qualities, maybe at some stage, whereas the allure of Sugar. Um, is that he has no real backstory for us other than he was in Nam, and we don't actually know that he wasn't a psychopath <laughs> before that. Alonso is in a real position of power. He's essentially grooming Jake. He goes through the Eddie Guerrero trifecta in one day, lying, cheating, stealing. He secures even Mendez on the side, which has always rubbed me up the wrong way as well. The guy is a kingpin, and we just get to see a bit more development from him which is what, for me, I think makes him take the cake. I think if we could verify that Kaiser Soze did everything that he was accused of, then I think he would unquestionably be the number one. Mm-hmm. But we just don't know how much dirt he actually did. Yeah, I get you. I feel what you Um Yeah, I do, I do, I do, love, that. I do love training, don't mind. The the other uh, ones I had down was uh, Jatem from Widows, Daniel Kaluuya, unreal in that. Harry from In Bruges, never get it. So it's hard for you're not going to win it. You're not going to win it as a comedy. Great character, great act, great no, performance, but I, you're never going to win it. Teddy KGB maybe getting some imposter syndrome in here. I don't. He's not even that much of a villain. <laughs> he, just runs, he just doesn't like losing. He just just runs a poker game and happens to win. He's not cheating. When he gets beat, he gets beat fair and square, and he's all, he, all his boys are ready to, ready to start causing mayhem. He's like, "How much pay him?" He honestly seems like quite a solid boy. <laughs> like, he is. He is technically the villain of the film, though. Yeah, correct. And he's not. It's not even like he's in the KGB. He's just just supposed to be Russian. <laughs> yeah. It's just a lazy nickname. Like he's, he's all right. What's he doing? He's in here on account of being Malkovich, basically. He yeah, this is boy. um this is Leo's Oscar for the Revenant. This is um <laughs> KGB's making so his way want, in. We just want to want him to mention him somewhere. Yeah. He's not really a villain. He just runs an underground casino. He's all right. <laughs> Ed Norton is really the villain of the piece. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean I was just thinking that on the spot. But um look look, we don't make the nominees. Um these go through a very rigorous selection process um to get to this point. Okay. Yeah, Alonso. I did a whole uh, TikTok on just reeling off just what like, the perfect villain this guy is, like everything about him. My only, the, and it's hard to describe because it sounds odd saying it, but I do think it makes the stakes in training there are fairly low for ever for others for most others involved. In comparison, it's not the Godfather. You're not fighting for control of you're literally fighting for control of New York. Um. It's a very central, it's a very almost self-contained story. Isn't it? Yeah, but that's, even that's still, my, that's like he, my only, that's my only, that is my only slight detraction because he steals so a million dollars, um, kills multiple people. I think um, I said when we did this with Kieran the other week, the thing that catches me off guard on the rewatch is, to be fair, even Mendes' character as well, when he's just firing shotguns off in the apartment. <laughs> Nobody has any care in the world that the kid is hidden in a cupboard. Yeah, Their yes. own child is in a cupboard um, and he's just pinging bullets everywhere. He lets he lets him know early he's surgical with that motherfucker. <laughs> and that's all it is. He loses his form, though, when he gets a bit rattled. Mm, the shotgun under the bed is such a superb play. <laughs> well, I'm not on, on the rotation as well, just in case it comes from any angle, just ready at all times. 
that is uh, that's one when he's fastening it and he's going like i wish somebody would mm-hmm. i wish somebody <laughs> would give me the opportunity give me a reason come in my house yeah it, I, I, I thought I we we did this um and i don't think i had this when we did it i think this is the fourth the time we spoke about training day yeah but i get no less here. i get no less excited well the the ending obviously we nearly didn't get the whole King Kong scene. It nearly ended, and maybe it says more for Alonzo's character. Jake gets away from uh, Smiley and his gang. He gets back to the apartment, and Denzel is having a threesome with Eva Mendez and just one of her just phenomenal friends who she's obviously going to have. Mm-hmm. Jake basically tells him, I've got you. The police are on their way. The Russians are on their way. Basically, whoever gets here first, you're going down either way. And uh, Alonzo just commits suicide in the bed. And that's how the original ending was going to go down. And then it was going to do the uh, very American, like never back down, eight mile, whatever. Jake just walks home and basically is like, oh, what a first day. I'd have hated that so much. <laughs> and then Denzel, everyone else comes in. That was like the initial script. And then uh, they get a couple of rewrites. Imagine. Only one person worked on this script, which is very impressive. So I think he, the other eyes, maybe you get that tunnel vision, don't you? That you mm. like proofreading your own work and maybe needed someone from the outside to say, no, that's not the way Denzel, that's not the way uh, Alonzo would go. They change it. We get the ending we get. My favourite ending to any film in the world. And I do think there was definitely something in the uh, Jake going back home to end the film because I think that's why we get... The only real bad thing you can say about Trading Day is you have this very cringe-like opening two minutes Yes, you do. Yeah. where he wakes up at home and he's basically doing the... Uh, Cartman in the World War Z episode, like what a wonderful husband I am. I've got a beautiful mm. wife. I've got my kid. Because there's no need for him to be like, oh, you're up early, feeding already. And he's like, no, let me take care of that, even though I've got this hard day at work today. One. So I think they just probably wanted the uh, synchronization of <coughs> Excuse me. beginning and end, leaving the house, getting home. Yeah, yeah, very possibly. But thankfully, thankfully they didn't do that. We don't need to see Jake get back home. No, we just need to hit Alonso then fucking smoked by 9,000 <laughs> Russians. <laughs> um. Nick loved a girl I was pretending to be. Cool girl. Men always use that, don't they? As their defining compliment. She's a cool girl. Cool girl is hot. Cool girl is gay. Cool girl is fun. Cool girl never gets angry at her man. She only smiles in a chagrin loving manner. As for the best villain, female, really a two-horse race here in comparison to uh, the male category. Amy Dunn versus Catherine Trammell. Gone Girl versus Basic Instinct. Both are still in the game at the end of their respective movies, but both are equally devious. Both have pretty horrendous scenes when they chop someone up in their most vulnerable moment. Neil Patrick Harris is mid-nut and he gets his throat sliced and there's an interview with him you watch hot ones don't you occasionally i do i do 
his in his Hot Ones interview, he's explaining the kind of direction from David Fincher. And he had to say when he was asked, basically, you need to act out the moment of orgasming while your throat is slit. And he's like, what basis do I have to work from? Like, this isn't a thing that I can... This is this hasn't happened before for me to kind of pull it from something else. And he said Fincher basically told him like figure out. Yeah, it would just be a sheer release. This is going to be so uh, cut in such a way that you almost won't realize what's happened until it's happened. And uh, they shoot it quite well in the end. You get that pounding music over the top of it. Mm-hmm. Amy Dunn just feels slightly more devious to me. Um, she movie, has the it? like. Uh, She's got the like, up- upgraded firmware in the female lead psychopath role. Um, she goes that one step further to impregnate herself and trap him that way. She doesn't get her iconic moment that Tramel does in her Basic Instinct police interview. But I'm not sure that was in Amy's character, unless she had to do it that way. Um, um... Going back home was the clincher for me. And things seem a bit more thought out than Tramel, who's working on uh, a text as well. Amazing Amy wins the award here. I think we were all very enthusiastic when we did Gone Girl. A rare appearance for Goff. Yeah, loves the film. Flower adores it. Uh, Yeah, she's superb. Rosamund Pike, and then she's actually struggled to get the same amount of work since because everyone is just seeing her as Amazing Amy from Gone Girl. What are you going to do? Like, I don't think. I mean, you struggle to you'll struggle to find a better character. I don't know. Pacino might be the exception, actually. That's when we when we did it um, last week, and we heard that she was obviously keen to come back yeah. for the potential sequel. It's not hard to work out why. No, you struggle to find a better character, and honestly, as an actual performance. I haven't seen her enough to say, but like the other things I've seen her, I've seen her in some sort of a lot lighter stuff. So it's a different kind of sort of obviously a different kind of fish, but she's bang at this from minute one. And that to me is why you've got to give Fincher even more credit because it's not like, uh, it's not like you're casting Pacino in heat after seeing whatever. I mean, Carlito's way or mm, whatever. Probably, probably would have been it. That or Glengarry Yeah, so it's it's like it's this is one way you've not seen a similar character being played. This is, this is one where you you've got the vision to say that that's my pick. Very yeah. well done. And Very she, well picked. Obviously, she Jenna's knocks knocks this out of the park. This she is she's as good in this as just as we were talking about as Denzel is in Training Day. Yeah, for sure. She like fucking nuts. Like Affleck's good in this. But he's just bothered in like, yeah, yeah. any t- at any moment they share the, they share the screen. Yeah, she just she just absolutely bangs him. The semi final results. Then we can reveal training day after we've just spoken about it. Maybe not too much of a surprise. Defeated Scarface six five. Goodfellas defeated The Godfather Part Two. Controversial result, but a landslide with the scorecards ten four. Trading day. Goodfellas, that's the final of Movie Madness Season 4. 
You're the guy who beat up my dad. Hey, no. Sucker punched your dad. Big difference. But don't worry. He just did it for money. Best duo here. This is another one where I don't think it's too much of a surprise to anyone listening. Dignam and Queenan, a close second place for me. But Healy and March, the nice guys, they're the winners. Keenan, what else needs to be said about the nice guys that we've not said already? Bit of a problem, isn't it? We've said an awful lot about <laughs> it. Um, no, it's superb. There are other phenomenal duos, but these two are obviously working. Well, just we still, I suppose, that they are an actual duo as opposed to just being two characters. A lot of opposing forces, isn't there? Uh, yeah, Jake well, and Alonso technically a duo. Obviously, Pacino, De Niro, and Heat the same same thing, but yeah, just a, just a different, obviously a different different ball game. And when you're looking for an iconic duo, maybe is it the the quirkiness of the duo just in linking up Gosling and Crow, or is it just easier in a comedy just to warm yeah. to two characters like this? Uh, I think that's it, mate. I think in the comedy, it's far easier to do it. Like they obviously was talked about them making this a dark film. If it was, it's, it, I mean, it's yeah. quite dark anyway. But if you take away their chat and it's played dead straight down the line, um, I think it becomes it becomes a very different conversation. Yeah, uh, we're we're probably trying to scrape around and find another duo for this award. One of us got laid last night. Schmidt, Shh. don't wake up my dick. Flew in on the red eye, hasn't gotten a wink of sleep. Damn. We're talking missionary. We're talking missionary. We're talking when I'm on top and she's on her back. Sticking with comedy, best comedy scene here. Not as many comedies as we've had in, I guess, previous brackets when we did the whole comedy one, but 22 Jump Street takes the cake here. The scene where both Schmidt and the captain realize that the girl they've been talking about is the captain's daughter. You've got peak ice cube face, Channing Tatum going full slapstick. The awkwardness is fantastic. They had a lot of pressure to try and top the first film. Mm. I'm not sure they managed it, but this scene is at least as memorable as anything from the original. Uh, yes, very true. I, think, I don't know. I do, I do love that. I do think the second one's great one. It is, yeah. I don't know if it's a close one, but I mean, that scene stands out for me oh, above yeah, anything yeah, definitely, from both films. It's hard, or uh, I can't, I can never remember her name, but the girl, the, the, the girl who plays a bad guy in the yeah. second one, when they're in the hotel room, and you're not sure they're not yeah, sure they're going to start fucking or fighting. <laughs> oh, stay down. We want to hurt no one. We're here for the bank's money, not your money. Your money's insured by the federal government. You're not going to lose a dime. Think of your families. Don't risk your life. Don't try and be a hero. Right now, I want you to sit on the floor and put your hands on your head. Anybody feel sick? Anybody got heart trouble? Go ahead and lean against the wall. The Best Shootout, another film that we referenced. This firefight in heat from the bank out into the street, I think is the greatest example of a shootout in cinema history. I've never seen a better choreographed gunfight over such a wide and open location while still managing to still maintain the intensity that you'd expect from a tight space. You've got the realism that you can only get from guys that really look like they're about that business. 
we spoke when we did this the first time around, the shooting is even in character. Like you've got the disregard for public safety from Macaulay and his crew compared to the almost routine dealing of Hannah. Takes place over roughly 10 minutes, this scene. I think it's about 12.44. The film's characters provide each other with cover fire. They communicate in a way that we understand while still sounding appropriate for the situation. Nothing is shot from the hip. These are professionals, which they hammer home from the first scene of the film. We get our set pieces in with the... This is really unbelievable shots from over the shoulder of Shahurlis as he fires at the police and it allows us to feel the heat, so to speak. Um, they have to reload properly, which is a big thing that you don't see often, not just in a moment to create tension where a guy finally has the shot, goes to take it, and you hear the empty, empty cartridge clicking. And then our final set piece with Hannah taking the sniper shot to execute Hannah, uh, execute uh, Tom, is it? And uh, save the girl. Mm-hmm. And oh, if I get to the wrong one, by the way, just picks up a child. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to talk, we don't want to talk about a better villain. I'm ready just to lay that, I'm ready just to sacrifice some poor, poor little girl. R.I.P. Tom Sizemore. And to have any scene from the film feel remotely on a par with a dinner sit-down is an achievement in itself, and I think this scene sets itself apart from any other contenders. Mm, they, um, the chase, like training day, we were talking about the bedroom scene, the chase and the shootout there is very, very good. Um, a shootout I love that is not, not in the same level but I do absolutely adore is uh, the shootout in Gross Point Blank between Kudrak and Dan Ackwood. Have that nominated. Watching someone get decked with a TV is quite funny. <laughs> um, there have probably been some others that I'm forgetting. Um, they had all high water with where they're up in the mountains. That's very good. Yeah. This, they literally were showing this in army training videos because of how realistic it was. No, I know. In I just, terms so of just how to act in a firefight. Picking out some other very good ones. Yeah, this is, this is yeah. the one. I mean, this is... It's that scene and the beginning. They're the two things that I sort of... I, I, yeah, yeah, probably are actually probably two of the scenes I think first of when it comes to heat. Yeah, you've got Danny Trail on the outskirts before this happens. You've got uh, them in the bank. This is not your money. Don't be a hero. Like if, you, if you've got a headache, if you're hard of breath, lean yourself up against the glass. Don't do anything stupid. Right from the start, it's just a great bank heist scene and then you get the bonus of just a fantastic shootout after it's just brilliantly done it is and then the best fight the raid 2's fight scenes exemplify the sequel's kind of much larger scale over the first the best combat scenes in the Raid 2 give us the claustrophobic feel of the first film, coupled very closely with like a grand sequence that the original budget just didn't allow for. So the first set piece we get in the sequel is a fight that takes place in a toilet cubicle. Kind of the equivalent to if you've ever been really desperate for a win at laser tag. Like you're just standing inside a doorway, popping everyone that comes through. This uses that way of thinking and has Rama pinned inside a cubicle that leaves him no way out but prevents him being overrun for the most part. 
And then just seeing him pick apart guys with his lightning fast hands and just slowly pile up a collection of bodies behind him is incredible in that kind of video game aesthetic that we get from the first film. Because obviously this guy couldn't do this, but that's the kind of brink, the ledge that the Raid films sit on. And then shortly after, we've got the scene in the prison yard. Rama kind of slowly twisting a broom handle to free it from the base as a group of guys walk towards him with uh, knives. We then just get the complete free-for-all with all kinds of like incredible signature moves. You've got like a neck-breaking RKO into the mud that looks like... You've got something else that looks like what the Dudley boys would do. We just get a taste of everything as they push things to the brink of realism and we can just enjoy it for what it is look somewhere different each time, like one of those mad jigsaw puzzles you used to get. And then the rain, obviously, is a big check mark for us when it comes to hand-to-hand combat. And this scene just still gets me pumped up every time I watch it. A deserving winner. Oh, yeah, one of my best parts in the first scene. It's fucking mint. And seeing these films in the cinema is one where if I ever question, you know, you see that debate every so often, like, we had it all through COVID, you know, should we just have everything just go straight to on demand and Mm. you pay cinema prices, but at home with the comfort of your own home, the experience of watching the raid two in the cinema is one that I'll cherish. There are certain things that need to be seen on a big screen. Yeah. Watching the raid one in the cinema was cool just because me and Sean had no idea what we were letting ourselves in for. Yeah. And then that just unfolded and just like changed changed my life watching that just unbelievable just put action films on a different level for me so good the raid i think cleaned up with this category in the last bracket same happens again here uh worthy winner yeah mate 100 what's the most you ever lost on a coin toss sir the most you ever lost on a coin toss I don't know. I couldn't say. And then most dramatic scene, the coin toss in no country. Like, What more can be said that we've not said already? Like, What's the most you ever won on a coin toss? Shigeru asks. And this is the scene that secures classic status for a film that I've not heard anyone say a bad thing about. Without threatening anything in particular, Bardem is just able to hammer home the sense of dread from the jump. I read today that the Coens wanted to cast someone who could have come from Mars, and that was what they wanted to do with Shigur. And we still have no idea what his creed is at this point, what he's trying to achieve, and we're almost no closer to discovering that by the end of the film, but we think we'll maybe get a motive at some point. I think we're just convinced that this gas station clerk isn't making it out of the scene alive. We feel his fear with him. We don't want him to play the game, but also we really do want him to pick heads or tails just so we can experience the tension. It's as tense as I felt at any stage of this bracket, and that's in comparison to another 127 films. Just can't say enough good things about it. No, I'm with you. I'm fully with you. Um, It is brilliant. Not really. I mean, to be honest, mate, you, I, I don't. There's nothing I can add to what you've just said there. <laughs> genuinely, that was genu- genuinely brilliantly quite eloquent. So, thank you. You're welcome. Well, All right. Hello. 
Tony, I'm only kidding with you. We're having a party. I mean, I just came home. I haven't seen you in a long time, and I'm breaking your balls, and you're right away you're getting fucking fresh. I'm sorry. I don't mean right. to offend you. I'm sorry, too. It's okay. No problem. Okay. Salud. Now go home and get your fucking shine box. Motherfucking mutt! You! You fucking piece of Something you spoke about last week. Best soundtrack. I don't think this one was ever in doubt. In fact, the final here, I think, is maybe the best two soundtracks in the film. Mm-hmm. Goodfellas takes the cake. Third award so far. Rags to Riches. Can We Be Sweethearts? My favorite, maybe. Hearts of Stone. Then He Kissed Me. Roses Are Red. Atlantis, actually, is my favorite. <laughs> Gimme Shelter. Christmas. Please Come Home. Layla. Unchained Melody what is life and just so much more on top of that it, it is the goat soundtrack would you believe give me shout as my favorite i would believe it because we i asked you last week i know but i just want to reach out i absolutely yeah. adore that. surprising really um actually the one i um was reflecting on last week when i said uh, the most underappreciated mm. and you said rags to riches i did also say it the, is but uh, did also say the shroud and he kissed me yeah, yeah. The every so often um, I'll just play the Goodfellas soundtrack, and it's how like Atlantis was on my most played for last year. Um, so good. I like with Atlantis. I'll give that the equivalent of uh, you know what we say about Man on Fire, mm. where the second half doesn't hit the same if you haven't had to kind of wait patiently through the first. Atlantis, you do have to sit through their explanation of Atlantis for a solid minute and a half. But then you get your man on fire second half as the chorus kicks in. So that's my analogy for today. Yeah. But I think Layla in a lot of soundtracks is broken down to just be the piano sequence. Yeah. yeah. Um, Probably a good time to say, so the final results the winner of Movie Madness Season 4. A little pause on my uh, Davina McCall flex. Goodfellas defeated Training Day 8-3. Really wasn't troubled throughout. No. As I said to you earlier today, we've done this for, I said 66, which you said 72, just to come back to the point that I made all along. So, path to the final, you can judge how tough you think it was. Started up against Saw 2 in the second round, 114 2. So, slightly against Killerhood in the first round, I think it won to nil. Saw 2 in the second round, 14 2. Third round, Silence of the Lambs dispatched that 10 3. Knives out in the fourth round, 14 1. The Town in the quarterfinals, 12-2. Godfather Part 2 in the semis, 10-4. And then Trading Day in the final, 8-3. So that's quite a mix of films it's had to go through there as well. That's beat one of the all-time greats. Yep. And it did. Putting its long ball, ticky-tacka, everything in there. Does it all. Like I said, mate. So there we go. Goodfellas. All that time later is the number one crime film <laughs> ever made. And in small print, according to us, but I think most would agree. Mm. Some might even agree with me that it's the greatest film ever made, but 
Hey. I'm sure a lot would. I'm sure. I'm sure even more wouldn't. But it is like I said. Like I said last week. I know it's not. It might not be perfect, but it is legitimately perfect to me. Last bits of housekeeping. Then we always do these kind of roundups at the end of each bracket. There's just a lot further to think back in this one. I asked you this last week, but may have been off air. What's the film you enjoyed the most that you hadn't seen before? I think it was, I think it's Drive. There are there were there were a few in there that I hadn't seen that I enjoyed, but I did think Drive was very good. I'm planning to rewatch that soon. Also, Sound, really, fantastic soundtrack there as well. Yeah, there is. Uh, I also really, really just to talk about the film that you recommended to me for ages and ages. Really enjoyed the first forty minutes of A Place Beyond the Pines. Yeah, that very specific. Um, more Goslin. You've you've become a Goslin fanboy uh, through the bracket. Little, Those two, the I, nice guys. A little bit. I always like the nice guys, though. In fairness, but yeah, a little bit. I'd never. I'd not seen him in too much. I, I quite liked him in Gangster Squad. Yeah. Um, but I haven't seen him in too much. But just turns out, but just seems he seems absolutely mint. Twenty twelve ish is when he's just on his kind of. I'm a slick guy, Flex, and that's all he's being cast in. He does what Drive, Crazy Stupid Love, and Place Beyond the Pines. Crazy Stupid Love, despite us not doing an entire rom-com bracket next, we will definitely get to that at some point, and so you'll have to watch that. See him and uh, Steve Carell, Emma Stone. Probably sets up La La Land, to be fair, just the chemistry those two have in the film. Fair enough. I had it down to two films. Uh... One we've spoken about again already. I had it between Good Time and A Bronx Tale. Yeah, A Bronx Tale. So good. I'd probably go Good Time, and I think it, I had less expectation going in. Like it, It's hard not to have expectation for a De Niro film, one pre-2000 anyway. Yeah. And we covered it a fortnight ago, so I won't go over it again completely, but Maybe I'm just shooting from the hip here. I think Pattinson's performance in Good Time is on par with De Niro and Palminteri in A Bronx Tale. Oh, I disagree. Bronx Tale was incredible too. That I particularly liked those uh, scenes with Young C and mm-hmm. younger De Niro early on. I think that was my favourite parts of the film. And then a very... Uh, I texted TK about a film last night. And I said, this is going really well so far. I just hope it sticks the landing. And it was a bit clunky to end things out. This, I think, I don't know how many other ways it could have ended because I don't think you can have De Niro and Palminteri kind of holding hands and going off into the sunset and like, you know, look at our boy, look Mm. at our boy. It kind of had to go down this way. Yeah. That life always catches up with you kind of thing. But him coming to the funeral little words there back and forth yeah really really good film one i'll definitely watch again yeah a film you disliked the most that you hadn't seen before uh you actually gave me you gave me this answer and i'd forgotten about it because it was such a big bracket um and then as soon as you said it all of my rage came flying back (laughs) um i'd sort of gotten over it and have cast it from my mind and as soon as i read the title of the film it just came roaring back to me, but it is Eastern Promises. 
that uh, fight in the sauna not doing it for you. That is quite a good scene. It's got to be said, but let. You know what I mean, even bad films have got something going for them. But that is actually quite that is actually quite a good scene. But the rest of it's fucking horrendous. <laughs> I I had several, and we're going to address something about that in just a moment. But mm. unfortunately, a couple of mine are ones that I know you quite like, which yeah, no go, please, never good. I think this the film I disliked the most was Mister Nice. <laughs> really, really, really did not like that film. Mm. Um, I was begging for that to end, and it just wouldn't. One that I think we were both very underwhelmed by was Cape Fear. Mm. Yeah, but dislike. I agree, but the, the, this dislike was a. Uh... John Burntell recently said that's his dream role. By the way, if he could go and place himself in any film, he said that's his dream role. What playing De Niro? Yeah, yeah. The worst part about it is, I think he'd be really good at it. He's just been confirmed that he's finally legit. That he's coming back as the Punisher as well. So there's yeah, that. But he's coming back to do fucking Daredevil. I just want him to make more of the Punisher. Well, I think that they initially did cross over, didn't they, in Daredevil, and that's how they kind of introduced yeah, so, his yeah, characters. That's, that's true. So I think they're going to introduce him in that, and then I imagine they'll do more with him. I can't imagine they're just bringing him in as a kind of side piece. I don't understand. That is, as but, TV goes, the second season, that's good, but the first series of that is... Fuck, it, like, basically, gen- Netflix lost the rights, I think. No, they didn't. They chose not to make uh, Disney. That's, yeah, that's ridiculous. They didn't, didn't lose the... Didn't lose the rights. There was an issue. Disney wanted to pull a lot of it back in house because Jessica Jones and stuff had the same thing, and Netflix just went yeah. willing to pay. She's. For it. It's kind of unofficially official that she's coming back as well. Really like Jessica Jones. Hope my girl Trish Walker comes back with that as well. Hmm. Other films that I wasn't a fan of: History of Violence. Huh. That weird where they're just like. 69ing for no reason. Well, I mean, I know the reason, but it was just very, <laughs> it was a very unnecessary. Um, Riding as far as, on, the, on the stairs. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, the fact that she just weirdly dressed up as a cheerleader at the start was like, what is going on here? Yeah. And then they get rifle through on the stairs while we know the daughter's like two rooms away. Uh, um, and then we have this like scene after just to kind of compound that further where she's just all bruised up and it was like well you could have literally gone to the top of the stairs I'm not buying that you're this angry passionate couple anymore just because you've chosen discomfort on the stairs I think we were torn on the ending of that I actually quite liked the ending with them being sat around the dinner table not acknowledging the situation whereas I think you strongly disliked it correct all went a bit nuts didn't it at the end because we've when we read the the villain in it, his brother was like nominated for an Oscar. It was like, what the fuck is going yeah. on? Um, Lord of War, I didn't like, and Blow, I didn't like either. Yeah, Blow, I can take all these. And I, I, I just I can't get on board with these kind of uh, traveling cocaine dealer films that just so much doesn't happen in them that. They had to try and bring in like Escobar to blow and Penelope Cruz just there, giving her nothing to do but look good. It's just rush film. No, I'll give you uh, blow. I can take or leave. Uh, Lord of War. Really, I think like. that's one of the few <laughs> one of the few podcasts I had to cut things from. Lord of War. I'm sure you can remember why, but no. Well, I won't go into an hour. I'll have to cut it again. 
Is it something I said? I was asking you, uh, would you questions um, compared to some things that, some decisions that Nick Cage has to make in Lord of War. But, um... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm with you now. Yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't have put that out. That's been a bad look for the boys. What was your favourite episode of The Bracket? Oh, fucking no. We've done. <laughs> I was 70, bro. I had two stuff. Football Factory, Green Street, probably my number one. Uh, it can't be mine because I missed. Four. Only about 20 minutes. Oh, it was longer than that, mate. Oh, very good pod. And, and Goodfellas Kid out here. That was, I think, the last pod that we really had everyone on. Everyone came back to just say their piece on Goodfellas and then dipped. Yeah. Um, it's unsurprising that it won. Um, what did I enjoy? I enjoyed uh, just quick, and this is this is one hundred percent recency bias, but that's because my memory's appalling. Um, I really enjoyed the second round. Um, talk about Goodfellas was superb. I won't, won't lie. Really enjoyed the Heat podcast, the very first one. Yeah. Um, I think we did basically the runtime of Heat. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of that was me though. Again, um, yeah, I really did. Uh, the Donnie Brasco, uh, a pod I enjoyed as well. Lawless, wasn't it? Sounds about right. Mm, Donnie yeah, Brasco, Lawless, that, yeah, that was good. That was a nice, that was a real, real nice even one. Um, that was good. It was Doshi. I know you absolutely adore that film as well, so it was nice to yeah. see you just. Yeah, I did have them in as a provisional nominee for best duo, Donnie and Lefty. Funny, I was thinking about Lefty the other day when we were talking about the awards, whether or not we you try and sneak him in. Well, there was no real one that I could squeeze a forget about it in as a, a scene, unless mm. we just did best quote, and then I still think it probably wasn't taking the cake. So no, no, it wasn't. just had to slightly, uh, quietly appreciate the scene on my own. Oh, I do think I, I have these every bracket. Uncut gems, unfortunate matchup, really did deserve better than going out in round one. Um, it really likes Uncut Gems, and I've never seen that yeah, before. The bracket went out to the Raid 2, so yeah, mm. can't complain yeah, too maybe, much. Maybe the Raid 2 was my favorite film I've never seen before. Uh, yeah, good shout. I mean, I'll Stand by Prisoners is a better film than Lethal Weapon. <laughs> the disrespect that was given to Prisoners, yeah. I can't let slide, but you rated me for worse things, don't worry, we'll get over it. And now just the final thing to say for this episode, looking ahead to next season, fair to say Keenan is taking a step back. Still welcome on any time. Don't say, want any uh, finger pointing my way. Some would say forced. No, um, no, no <laughs> would say forced. Some would say forced. Okay, you carry on. No, he's not had true. He's had enough I, told, after... I told someone you'd say this. After a hundred, and they said, "I'm sure episodes. Keenan wouldn't think that." And I said, "I bet he does slightly think that." <laughs> who said? Who did you say it to? Ellen. Did you actually? Uh, Josh, yeah. Josh gives me far too much credit. Thank you. You're completely right. I take any. I will take any opportunity to try and make you feel bad. It's just what I do. Um, some would say forced, pushed out. What? Well, I'll explain aside. this. To, we're mixing things up. Movie okay, madness, so as you know it. <laughs> no, no. Movie Madness, as you know it, is no more. We're abandoning the bracket format. We're abandoning the double films each week. We don't want to do you as a listener any injustice by doing a film that we don't feel completely passionate about. 
which is why we won't be doing any first-time watches for the pod anymore either. We'll work in a 10-week rotation. We'll tell you those 10 films at the start of each season. There'll be a one-week break before we get back into it. So the next episode you hear will be on March 24th. But we'll have a lot, I'm sure, next week with Race Week and everything else to uh, tide things over. The next 10 films we will be covering in order are Piranha, finally. That's the whole reason Keen is not on anymore. My desire to do Piranha <laughs> trumped everything else. You forced, look, you found a way to do it, and it was forcing me out the door. I'd like to work Piranha. I'd like to say thanks to the audience for sticking by me. It's been a real one. Cloverfield. The Founder, one we've spoken about on here several times. Bad Neighbours, <coughs> Get Out, 1917. <laughs> what has been done, if you think, on the pod before. It was a one-man pod, so um, I think there was like one person tuned in for that. <laughs> to that one person, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a subscriber. They didn't mean to. Um, swingers, finally doing that there. So look, if Keen is not on that episode, it's on him, is all I'm saying. Yeah. Pushed, I've been pushed to the back benches. The Breakfast Club, Big Daddy, and Whiplash. As I say, one film a week. We'll never have to rush one again if we've got two bangers in the same week because it was ultimately a trade off. And I don't regret anything what we've done previously, but something like Lawless Donnie Brasco, two films huge right. fans of and unless we're going to do like a six hour podcast yeah, those two films one of them spent two hours talking about each is taking short shrift so yeah we'll keep on cooking plenty of films for us to talk about um and i know several of those are exciting you keenan swingers the founder piranha all fucking piranha <laughs> no you won't be because you'll be at work when uh, that next one's being recorded but no off all next week, are you? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, there you go. You can come round. I'm not coming. Um, I'm not coming to do fucking piranha. I do, do you know what, man? I'm happy to change it just so I don't have to build it anymore. Get out of the way. Get out of your system. You won't travel for me, but would you travel for Kelly Brook? Is the question. <laughs> to watch Kelly Brook in piranha? <laughs> in other respects, alike. <laughs> two two very different answers. So that is as we're doing. I will say again. Keen is essentially it's on him. We've been given answers. So when TK left Movie Madness, he said, "I'll still jump on and do them every so often," and he has. <laughs> Jack and Sean both said the same thing. So you see how these things go. What Keenan does is ultimately on him. Kieran will be uh, jumping into his grave as. Uh, the person that will be here for the I, next I, I 10 weeks wanted, minimum. I never wanted to go. The, the, the boys made their choices. I was happy to stay. I've been pushed. The names Keenan and Kieran are too tough to have on the same podcast. I've been pushed aside. Made redundant. I've been, I've been told you being called Kieran is a bugbear of yours. Less so these days. Um, Keith doesn't is, happen as often these days. No, Keith is the one that annoys me. <laughs> Keith, yeah. that's called you, Keith. You would be surprised, mate. It happens more <laughs> than you think. Um, dealing with people at work, I'm like, oh, hi, Keith. <laughs> and the worst part is, there's no coming back from that. <laughs> Whatever it is you're expecting to happen in our interaction, 
is more than likely not going to happen. I love the thought of them seeing you and going, but he does look, look a bit like a Keith. They don't get to see me, obviously, um, unless it's like all my call, like all my team's calls and stuff. Thankfully. My, uh, my real bugbear is people I email and then email me back misspelling my name. I get Luke Bryan all the time, or Luke Bryan, or Luke Byro. Uh, yeah, people who just misspell my name. Um, they often do, it's K-E-N-N-A-N is how they'll spell it. That's not even... Like, I know Keenan is a... That's rel- the bloke that did uh, the World Cup song in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no fucking waving flags in that office, mate. Um, yeah, and the worst part about it is, is like, I know Keenan is a relatively unique name, but like Kenan, who fucks that? <laughs> like, come on now. Like, let's be, be serious. Yeah, that is a bugbear of mine, especially when I've emailed you and my name is in, like, my my, my, yeah. my work email is my name. Just read. I'm not asking you to do a lot. Well, there we go. Thank you for listening to another season of Movie Madness. We really appreciate anyone that tunes in. Well, I guess now's a good opportunity. If you are listening to us and you've got this far and you've not pressed subscribe on Spotify, or iTunes, do us a favour. Press that button. It goes a long way to helping us. And for those of you but, on uh, iTunes or Apple Music, drop the comments. Five stars if you can. Why not? Exactly. Exactly. Why not us? See you on the 24th. Keenan, until next time. Adios.